Welcome to another edition of Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula. I am your host, the aforementioned Ravi Lula, because who else would I be? Uh, I also have today with me friend of the show. I can't say friend of the program or program because then Josh will get mad at me. But um, Nick Grimm, he is a what is your is DJ? Is that your title? Radio personality? Sure. At 101.9 The Keg. Also, producer extraordinaire. Don't get too excited. That doesn't mean the audio on this is going to be any better, because it's not. But uh, he'll tell me that it's bad, and I'll know about it, so that's good. I'll make you feel better. It sounds great, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great, because we're just talking right now. You're not listening to the recording. <laughs> uh, but Nick has joined me for the solo Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. got to make sure you get that after the colon in there to discuss the anthology, or not, yeah, the anthology film uh, regarding a little prequel of Han Solo. And before we get started, I wanted to get a little background on Nick as far as where he became a Star Wars fan. Now, he's got a Star Wars tattoo. I do. It's Rebel a, Alliance. It's a Rebel Alliance on his forearm. So of all of the guests I've had, he might be the most legit in terms of... I'm verified. Yeah, he's literally he's he's got the he's got the uh, the mark the branding if you will, uh, which actually comes up in, in this movie with Kira, but we'll get to that later. Um, but no, so he's legit. He's got the tattoo to prove it. And uh, but I wanted to get a little bit into Nick, how you became a Star Wars fan, kind of your first experience with it, and what made you fall in love with the story. So I was a really big fan of Captain Kirk. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> How dare you? Get out. <laughs> I don't remember, honestly. It's like always, the first time you watched it? I feel, Well, I remember the first time I watched them through. Sure. But it's always kind of been in the background. My dad wasn't even a Star Wars fan, so I'm not sure why. I got a Lego set once when I was a kid. Sure. I My grandparents bought me one of those little green flicking lightsabers once when nice. I was a kid. That was dope. Yeah. I think the first legitimate Star Wars movie I ever saw, though, was Phantom Menace. Not Oof. theaters or anything. My Oof. dad's friend liked Star Wars, yeah. and he had the Phantom Menace on VHS, so he let me borrow it. Then I watched that thing, like, three days in a row. See, and that... So at the time, you would have been... You'd have been young, right? Because you're... Oh, super young. Nick is a lot younger than me. Like, what, 10 years? What, how old are you? like 10 years. I'm 22. Yeah, he's 22. It's actual 10 years. So... When Phantom Menace came out, you were what? Four. Three years, four years old. <laughs> Wait, did it come out in '97 or '99? '99. So, so I was like two. You were two. So by the time you watched it on VHS, you're probably what four, five, six, somewhere in there. Six or seven, probably. So in that instance, that's probably a really good entry point into the series because mm-hmm. it's the most kid-friendly, the most cartoonish. I liked Jar Jar. Right, that's the thing. Like, kids liked the, from what I've experienced with my younger friends, kids liked the prequels. When that was their first entry into the saga, they enjoyed the prequels because they had nothing, they they didn't have the expectations of the original trilogy weighing down their experience with the prequels. I actually, yes, I didn't see the original trilogy until after. I saw Phantom Menace. I'm like, this is awesome. Is this Star Wars? (laughs) And then <laughs> There's more? I went to my dad's friend again, and he had the 1997 box set of the original trilogy. Yeah, the that, special edition. The special edition. Yeah. He let me borrow those. Nice. And it wasn't the same, but I was still kind of into it. Yeah. I think I liked Empire better. Sure. Maybe. It's a cross between Empire and Turn. As a kid, Empire's probably tougher to like 
just because it's not obviously it's not that one's probably the darkest I would say of the original trilogy I think there's another reason I like Empire 2 though why is that uh, I had a GameCube okay I got a GameCube for Christmas when I was like 7 yeah. and it came with a Star Wars uh, Rogue Squadron demo disc nice and I just played that level on Hoth over and over because I didn't have a memory card yeah, obviously yeah <laughs> So that had something to do with it. I saw it on TV and it's like, I was that pilot. <laughs> I was Luke. I will say the ice planet does really appeal to, especially if you grow up in like the Midwest. Ugh, yeah. You're just like, this could be my life in December. How many forts <laughs> could I build in all of these snowdrifts? Right? You're like, I could build the rebel base in my backyard. <laughs> and I think that's an actual factor for kids that grew up in like Nebraska, Iowa, South mm-hmm. Dakota range. And then, so after I saw the original series, I was kind of all in at that point. Sure. That's when my dad started giving me crap, because he's a Trekkie. He's like, oh, Star Wars is stupid. It's not even real. At least Star Trek is real. Well, it's a fantasy movie, Dad. None, none of it's real, Dad. None of it's real, Dad. It's all sci-fi. Or space opera, if you will. <laughs> then, at one point in middle school, I became friends with this kid named John. Okay. Who was also all into Star Wars. He had action figures. Ooh, and it blew my mind. Cause yeah. I'm like, oh, that's right. Action figures are a thing. I didn't... I never had any of the action figures. I just had... I had Legos, and then he had action figures, and we started doing that thing where we swapped toys, because it oh. turns out his mom and my mom lived in the same apartment. Nice. So like, around 10. So, after school, we'd play Star Wars. We'd set it up on the washing machines. There you go. Uh, at one point, I had a special edition Luke Hoth pilot nice action figure there you go I traded that and the rest of my figures to John for Knights of the Old Republic 2 ooh on computer there you go and then my computer couldn't run it <laughs> so I was all out of those action figures that's a bummer mm. did you have to get a new computer eventually I got one that could run it um, so it's it's interesting to me because you've got a little bit of a different your experience in terms of Becoming a Star Wars fan is a lot different than mine, where it started with the original trilogy. They're really, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people where the toys were a huge factor in them becoming uh, fans, whether it was uh, Ben when we were doing the Revenge of the Sith podcast, or just people that I know. The And for me, that's part of the reason I got into the prequel was the pod, the pod racing game. Mm-hmm. Me and my buddy used to play that every day, and so... I think that's an underrated factor on how children, at least, at least the second generation of kids, right? Where, you know, you weren't old enough to have the original trilogy, but either you were the right age for the prequels or you were kind of in between those. The toys made a huge difference in those kids becoming Star Wars fans because the Star Wars toys, regardless of how you feel about the movies, the toys were always dope. Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> I mean... Uh, my dad's friend. Yeah. I told you about He had one of those... It was from the 70s. He let me play with it until he found out how much it was worth. <laughs> it was one of those X-Wings where you hit the button in the back, and it, like, kind of collapsed a bit. Yeah. fell apart, and you could, like, put it back together. Yeah, so yeah. You could, like, crash it. Oh, that's cool. I did that a lot. And then one day, <laughs> he stopped letting me play with it. And it's because he found out it was worth a lot of money. It's worth a lot of money. Yeah, that's fair. Um... There's also the, uh, I think that's a big factor why, and, you know, we're recording this on, what, the 14th, it's going to air tomorrow, the 15th, there's all, the Mandalorian just came out, I think the Boba Fett action figure is a big reason why people are so obsessed with Boba Fett, Mm -hmm. because if you look at his actual screen time, he's in the he's in Empire and Return of the Jedi for a grand total of like four minutes. He says what one sentence? Yeah, he's not. Uh, he's 
I think he says like he's not worth much to me dead or something like that when they're trying to go find Luke or, or Han or I think he's they're going to find Luke and the bounty hunter wants Han so he can take him back to to Jabba and he has like one line in two movies and he's on screen for like four minutes and then he falls into a hole yeah he goes out like a little punk he just falls backwards into a hole not a great look for Boba Fett but people love him mm. and I never understood it I think a lot of it's the action figure. He had a really cool action figure. It has to be, because it had, like, the spring-loaded rocket launcher. Yeah. That was a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so I I just wanted to acknowledge the place that the toys and all the other extra stuff had in the Star Wars universe, because I think it's a big factor for a lot of people who maybe came to the series in a non-traditional way in terms of, like, just standing in line at the theater or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, A friend of mine, John, uh, John Hood, he's older than me but he remembers standing in line to see episode 4 when they because they released it in 77 and then they re-released it in 78 because it was so popular that's like a thing people did back then weird because they would like re-release movies and why so, don't they just watch Netflix right I mean <laughs> just get Disney Plus John uh, <laughs> but they uh, he remember he was like 4 years old and he was standing in line in 1978 to watch the to see A New Hope episode 4 for the, it wasn't even called A New Hope at the time it was just Star Wars mm-hmm. uh, to see this movie for the first time and so like that's his entry point into the series which is like the original entry point basically and then you've got people like me who are in the middle and then people like you who the first time thing they ever watched was Phantom Menace so I just think it's really interesting how people will come to the story from different places and ages and for different reasons and but we all end up loving it mm-hmm. um Anything else you wanted to add about how you became a Star Wars fan? Why, why'd you get the tattoo? Just curious. <clears throat> so actually, it wasn't necessarily just because it was Star Wars. How um, dare you? <laughs> how political are we allowed to get here? Uh, just go for it. All right, so in 2016, yeah. that happened. Mm-hmm. And my tattoo artist and I are pretty good friends, and he had some flash designs that he put right after the election. Mm-hmm. It's basically a bunch of like anti-government, like <laughs> anti-establishment type of tattoos. Sure. And I saw this rebel. It's the rebel symbol with some flames on it. And I never thought I'd ever get a tattoo with flames because I'm not Guy Fieri. But <laughs> I'm like, yo, that's dope because I hate the government right now, and I love Star Wars. Sure. And I can say it represents my passion for rebellion against tyrannical orange leaders. <laughs> Or tyrannical leaders of any color. I mean, I assume you would be just as anti-other colored, haired, or skin tyrannical no, leaders. That's fair. That's fair. This was just a very specific one. But it worked out because I do like Star Wars. That does work out. And then, like, uh, so it's like a kid thing. Like, it was super into the action figures and games and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then, like, growing up, the older I got, the more I appreciated the political, social commentary that those sure. movies also provide. Yeah. Have you ever gotten into the like books or anything like that I read a lot it's obviously not canon anymore right so it doesn't even count <laughs> I don't remember what the name of the series was but it was about these two kids their okay. home world was Alderaan and they were basically on a field trip and it got exploded <laughs> That's a bummer. But then they go through all these... Sh- it's a whole series. They go through all these shenanigans yeah. like throughout the galaxy. At one point, they ended up in Jabba's palace, and they <laughs> met the brain spiders, <laughs> which was the first time I ever heard of those. Yeah. I looked it up, and it was legit yeah. that I edited a Wikipedia page once to <laughs> add some context to the brain spiders. There you go. Um, yeah, so I actually started listening to a, a... One thing I'll give credit to in terms of the the series I don't think it's obviously there's some political overtones and some commentary being made 
but I don't think it like I don't think it necessarily hits you over the head with it. Like if you just want to watch mm-hmm. Jedi and bad guys and you know a space war, like you can do that and not you know it's not so over. It's not Avatar, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was so there's a series that is canon because oh. there's some of the books are canon. They yeah. like re, they. Uh, Commissioned some books that are actually canon. I'm okay with the new canon, by the way. I am too. I like it. It's way more organized. Way more. Here's the thing. You had a million different authors and whoever, creators, mm-hmm. that were going in a million different directions. You have conflicting storylines. You had to streamline it. Well, they had, like, a circle system, too. Yeah. Depending on the canon. Like, the core was the movies, and then it was books, video games, whatever, but only certain books, some of these books. Yeah, it, like, none of it made sense. Right. And there was no way to be like, to just clearly and concisely say, hey, this is canon, this isn't, whatever. And so, I, I'm for it. I'm mm-hmm. I'm for that. I know it upset some people that were really into the, the Legend series or whatever, but I didn't ever get really into that, so it didn't bother me at all, but also, it's common sense. Like, you have to have established canon. It was basically... And I don't say this as a slight, but it was basically just really glorified fan fiction mm-hmm. that, I mean, sure, there was an entire industry on it, but that's all it really was. I mean, this wasn't authorized by Lucas or anyone else. It was just, hey, I really love Star Wars. I'm going to write a Star Wars book. And people ended up buying it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, but I started do, listening to an audiobook of some of the canon uh, some of the canon books is called the Aftermath series mm-hmm. and it basically fills the gap between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens and I will say I'm only I don't know like six or seven chapters into the first of the three Aftermath books but that <laughs> the political overtones on that itch you much harder over the head than the movies do and I don't know if it's I don't know if it's just this one but it, it is Let's just say it makes me appreciate the subtlety of the movies more than <laughs> more than I ever did before. Um, with that being said, let's get into Solo. Um, I'm going to give a quick synopsis here about the plot of the movie, and then we'll get into our thoughts on it. So basically, this is obviously a, a prequel for Han Solo. This takes place between the events of... The end of Revenge of the Sith, and it's before Rogue One. I think we're about six years after Revenge of the Sith is what uh, I think so. is what I've gathered from my internet uh, halfway research. So basically, you've got a young Han Solo, uh, and he is a smuggler on Corellia working for this weird, gross snake lady, um, Lady Proxima. Is it Lady Proxima? Is that where... Uh, nope, that's the... Proxima's the stormtrooper in Force Awakens, isn't she? I don't know. Um, it's Phasma. Phasma. It is Lady Proxima. I don't know. I'm getting confused. There's too many names. <laughs> um, so he is... Uh, he's working for this weird snake lady that is... Basically, she exploits orphans to do her dirty work and then gives them protection and shelter. Um, and Han and his boo, Kira, uh, are trying to get away... Basically, Han does Han smuggler stuff and gets in trouble and makes a break for it, basically. Uh, Kira doesn't make it in terms of on the break. Han gets away. Kira does not. That's where we kind of end our first little interaction and introduction to the movie. 
Uh, Han ends up joining the Imperial Flight Academy to try and become a pilot so he can come back and get Kira. But he gets kicked out for, quote-unquote, having a mind of his own. <laughs> and ends up just a basically ground soldier in a very muddy planet where he still has a mind of his own and does not do a good job of following orders. Shocking, I know, from Han Solo. But uh, this is where he meets some of the other important characters in the movie, namely Beckett, who is a... Um, a uh, gangster, I guess. Yeah. He's a uh, con man. Con man? I think con man works. Con man smuggler. He's a dude. Um, <laughs> and, well, that's loud. He's Woody Harrelson. Yeah, it's Woody Harrelson's character. And he uh, basically is running a job or trying to get back to run a job. And he has this band with him of... His, I think it's his wife. It's wife, girlfriend, lover. His bae. His 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 boo bay, um, and basically, Han tries to convince Beckett to take him with him. Beckett turns him in to as a deserter to the Imperial officer, and they throw him into a pit to be eaten by Chewie, mm. Chewbacca. Um, which I did find it. I was a little upset that they feed Chewbacca people. I didn't love that. Wookiees like people, and if you're starving, I mean, if something's in front of you, you're gonna. Listen, eat it. I get it. Like, I'm not judging Chewy for it. If I was in a pit, why do you think they called him Chewy? Because his name is Chewbacca. Or maybe it's because he chewed like to Chewy on people. <laughs> I mean, you can Chewy on anything. It doesn't have to be people. That's fair, I guess. <laughs> um, so Han apparently knows Wookie somehow. And yeah, good did for it, him. Did it explain that? No, just cool. knows a little bit of Wookie. Um, and <laughs> so Chewbacca's like, "Wait, you speak it? Let's be friends." And so they escape. Uh, they convince Beckett then to take him with his band of gangsters to go steal some coaxium, which is apparently fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think was our first introduction to actual fuel I think in Star so. Wars, which. I didn't mind. I know some people had kind of a uh, some people had kind of a bug up their butt about it because they're like, "Well, we don't talk about fuel for like six movies, and now all of a sudden you have to worry about fuel." I mean, come on. All right, they're just get over it. It's a machine. <laughs> it's a machine. Something is powering the machine, right? It's not magic. Although yeah, there's not magic in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, come on, come. On. It's called the Force, you idiot. It's <laughs> Uh, chlorians are science, Nick. They are. <laughs> Pure science. Oh, gosh. Uh, sidebar here. Have you ever heard that the George Lucas plan for the sequels was just all chlorians? It was just oh. basically, like, just three movies about chlorians. What? <laughs> and apparently he's very disappointed that Disney did not take it in that direction. <laughs> He really doesn't understand what people like about Star Wars. He, why not? Because <laughs> I don't think he's that smart. He made the most popular indie film in history, yep. and then just made it. He made the weird. most popular film in history, and it happened to be indie. That's fair. Um, and I don't think he ever understood why it was good. Hmm. I think that legitimately, because if you go and look back, and I know you ride for the prequels a little bit more than most people. But if you look back at... So basically the plot of A New Hope is just lifted mm-hmm. from... Was it Hidden Kingdom? Hidden, from Kurosawa? Yeah. Uh, I think it's called Hidden Kingdom. 
and then Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi are not written by George Lucas. No. And the, and even in New Hope, heavily edited by his ex-wife and basically fixed by all the people he had around him. Mm-hmm. So what I landed on is that he's really good at world building and really bad at telling stories. And he assumed that the thing that he liked doing, the world building, was what people liked about the movies. It's like, hey, we like the world, but they want more of the stories, not more of the world. Mm -hmm. And he never understood that and still does not understand that. And I think he's actually really bad at making movies. He just got really lucky. That's where I landed on George Lucas. Like poetry, it rhymes. (laughs) I think he... uh, I think selling the selling the franchise was the best thing that ever could have happened because I think you're right. We were not going to get good movies out of George Lucas. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to Solo. That was a little weird tangent there. So basically, they're trying to steal his coaxium. It goes horribly wrong because there's this group of they call them marauders in the movie. We don't really know who they are. Enfist Nest um, and Enfist Nest ruins the score and kills. Uh, Beckett's wife and their multi-armed friend. R.I.P. multi-armed friend. <laughs> and Beckett's wife. <laughs> yeah, no, her too. <laughs> that was a weird take there, Nick. <laughs> uh, so they have to go back to this guy named Dryden Voss, who apparently works for a thing called Crimson Dawn. Mm-hmm. Voss is the guy. Dawn is the organization, the crime syndicate, if you will. And be like, hey, we didn't get the stuff you wanted. And so they're like, oh, but we can steal more stuff. Sure, yeah, Yeah. let's do that. And instead of getting refined coaxium, which is stable and used for fuel, they have to steal unrefined coaxium, which will blow up your ship if you don't get it refined soon enough. So that's basically the... smart, really. Yeah, I mean, really. That's basically where they meet Lando Calrissian, who's got a ship fast enough to... Uh, to get the coaxium from the unrefined coaxium f- to point A to point B without blowing up his ship, a ship called the Millennium Falcon. Ever heard of it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. What was that? Uh, the Millennium Falcon. Is that that's the one Leia escaped on, right? No. Hmm. No. No. Episode three. No. 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 Okay. That's disappointing. Uh, no. Uh, so they're going to steal this unrefined coaxium from a place called Kessel. And if that sounds familiar from the Kessel run done allegedly in 12 parsecs, we'll see later if they actually make it or not. But so they go, they meet Lando, they get the Millennium Falcon, they go steal the unrefined coaxium. There's a... Uh, droid slave revolt at one point so that's interesting Mm -hmm. and then they are running into problems they're about to you know blow up the the coaxium and then they're like hey what if we put coaxium into the little just a little bit just just a little bit just a little bit of coaxium just a smudge into the Millennium Falcon, and then it goes super duper fast. That's how they make it in twelve parsecs. So they cheated. Yeah, they did. I actually was. I actually. <laughs> they fast and furious it. They really did. They. It was. It's basically. It's nos. It's, it's nos. It's nos. It's space nos. Space. Um, but I was a little disappointed. I was like, oh, it's not because the Millennium Falcon is that great. If you had done that to basically any ship, it kind of takes away from it. Doesn't I it? feel like you would have made the Kessel one in 12, 12 parsecs or thirteen, as Chewie says, but mm-hmm. not if you round down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I was I was like, oh, it's really not about the Millennium Falcon. They just did a thing. Mm-hmm. But 
I mean, you know, it was a ballsy thing to do, I guess. So that's something. But anyway, Han always frames it as this is the ship that made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs, not I'm the guy that made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. That's fair. I think it's, a, I think it's an important distinction. Because if he's like, hey, I made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs, awesome. Do Inaccurate. Yeah. yeah. If he's like, this is a ship that made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs, it's like, well, yeah, but... Give me a little, give me just, just a little bit of unrefined quaxium. I could get my Jeep to make the Kessel run 12 parsecs, so. Hey, kid, you want some quaxium? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Um, anyway, so we got the Kessel run. They get it to the planet where they need to refine it, where Dryden Voss is going to meet them. But dun, 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 Enfys Ness is there as well. Turns out they're not marauders. They're the start of the rebellion, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of handing the coaxium over to Dryden Voss, who is going to use it to bring tyranny, I guess, uh, Han Solo comes up with a plan to give it to Enfys Nest, who's going to use it to fight said tyranny. And then it will be basically him and Chewie off to go to Tatooine and work for Jabba the Hutt. And smuggle. And smuggle things, because that's sweet. That's a good choice, I guess. Yeah. Um, and BT Dub, meanwhile, he shoots Beckett and kills him, because otherwise Beckett was going to kill him. And you know what? Han shot first. Han did shot first. Shoot first. <laughs> Han shot first. did shot first. <laughs> oh, that on a t shirt? Han did shot first. <laughs> Han did shot first. Uh, and so this whole time, Han thinks Kira's going to come back to him. Spoiler alert, she kills Dryden Voss mm-hmm. and apparently works for dun 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 Darth Maul now. Yeah. Now if you didn't watch the any of the cartoons Clone Wars or Rebels. May not know that Darth Maul actually alive. Super not dead. Yeah. And people are like, Well, how does that happen? He got cut in half. It's like, listen, it's Star Wars. Just deal with it. Alright? And also robot legs. Right, but I mean, I think the cutting in half first, well, that was the concern. Yeah, that's fair. But here's my theory about lightsaber wounds. I think they cauterize when they... I think you're right. Because it's, you know, it's like a laser. I have the same theory. Right? So it cauterizes, and we've seen this in other... Like, outside of the very first scene uh, in the in Mos Eisley, where Obi-Wan cuts off the guy's arms, uh, the guy's arm in the cantina, mm-hmm. there's never blood associated with a... With a lightsaber wound. Not only that, in episode three, where Anakin slices off Dugu's head. Yeah. If you look, I guess I'm a psychopath, but if you look, you can see smoke coming up from the wound. True. Implying that yeah. it was burned skin. Yeah, cauterized. Or when he uh, he cuts somebody else's hands off. I don't know, lots of hands get cut off in Star Wars. It's a little weird. It's including a, Anakin's, but there's never blood. Robot hand market is a great one to be in. Oh, for sure. Robot hand market is like buying Amazon in 2000, right? Like, mm-hmm. get in early on the Star Wars robot hand market because you will be the Bezos of the galaxy, all right? I can't imagine Jedi... Jedi aren't cheap, right? Yeah, it's I like, mean... I will spend whatever money I can get to get my hand. You have to. I need lightsabers. You have to have a lightsaber. I mean, they're... And, you know, the Empire, if those guys are losing hands, 
you know, they're pre- paying a pretty penny for it because mm-hmm. they got all this coaxium just laying around. Only the higher up ones, though. They don't care about Storm Yeah, no, stormtroopers not getting their hands replaced. They, I'm pretty sure they just get taken out behind the barn and shot, um, much like a, you know, the gimp horse or something. Death Star needs janitors, too. That's true. You can be a one-hand janitor just mopping along. Um but so that's basically the movie. Kira, instead of going with Han, uh, becomes a crime boss, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the movie. Well, okay, hold on. I missed a part. After all that, Han goes and finds Lando again, gambles for the Millennium Falcon, and wins it. So you see him winning the you see him winning the Millennium Falcon. That's an important detail. It is. It is. That's why I added it. Um, so basically, in this movie, you have Han becoming a smuggler meeting Chewie, and getting the Millennium Falcon. What else do you need from a Han Solo prequel? It literally, just it's Han Solo. I mean, that's everything. That's that, Han that Solo is, in a nutshell, it. right? So let's start. I actually, I like this movie a decent amount. Once you get past the weird Lady Proxima snake lady at the beginning, who I thought was gross. You really didn't like her. I really didn't like her. She grosses me out, man. You don't want a little bit of scaly action? Oh, no. <laughs> gross. Uh, did not, was not a fan. Not a fan of Lady Proxima. But... After that, I, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Listen, I get that Alden Ehrenreich is not as charming as as Harrison Ford, but literally no one is. No, it's like on a hard in bar. the planet. No, <laughs> like no one is. Dude is still charming. <laughs> yeah, he's like eighty almost. He's in his mid mid to high seventies. He's pushing eighty. Right. And still one of the most like charming guys on the planet. I'd have a beer with Harrison Ford. Absolutely. And I would not let my wife have a drink with Harrison Ford. Because he's still super charming. Like, I don't understand. I thought Alden Ehrenreich did a did a very serviceable job of capturing the spirit of Han Solo. Oh, the facial expressions, the way he talked. Yes. It was Han Solo. Like, I got about ten minutes into the movie, and then I just kind of forgot that it wasn't Harrison Ford. Like, I'm not saying that he was as good as Harrison Ford, but I was just no, but you Han were, Solo. Yeah, I would say you accepted that that is Han Solo, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, oh, this is this guy pretending to be Han Solo. You're just like, this is Han Solo. Right. And I would encourage anybody who only saw it once and only saw it in the theaters to watch it again, because I liked it infinitely more the second time I watched it. And I think I've heard that's an experience that a lot of people have. First time is usually not their favorite, and then watch it again, and really, really enjoy it. So I would encourage you to watch it again, but well, that, that's one nitpick that people have. Another one was, and I don't even know, another one was just like, well, what was the point of that movie? And I was like, well, it was fun. It was a fun movie to watch, which is really the point of most movies. So even when they announced it? Yeah. I thought it was unnecessary. I still think it's a little unnecessary. Oh, it's 100% unnecessary. But I liked it. I'm glad it's a thing because it adds more to the world. It did a really good job of world building without telling you this stuff. We learned that there's a billion freaking crime syndicates. Yeah. We learned how the rebels got like a rough start like we kind of learned in the animated show. Sure. But now there's a more mainstream movie that kind of goes to the roots of that. A lot of good explanation. Plus, we get Darth Maul again. You get Darth Maul again, and you get Han Solo just doing Han Solo stuff for two hours. Like hashtag just Han things. Yeah, like that's not that's a win. Like it yes, it's unnecessary. I totally understand that. You don't you don't gain a ton of knowledge about the the saga in general. The you know the main Star uh, Skywalker line of the story, but 
it's just fun to see other parts of the world, mm-hmm. right? And to see, oh, you know, it would make sense that when you've got this corrupt imperial government, you also have these basically mobster families running a large portion of the things that are going on because an empire couldn't possibly manage a galaxy that big. There's going to be parts of the world that are run by other people, and those other people are probably mobsters, Mm -hmm. or as we call them here, crime syndicates, right? So it's interesting, and it was fun, and okay, it wasn't totally necessary, but who cares? Right. You know what I mean? The... That's one of the I think and I think one of the things that really hurt this movie was expectations, right? So you have the how much did you get into as far as the like production of it because it was a disaster. Yeah, um I was following it for a hot minute because it was announced I was in college sure. doing a morning radio show so I was keep I was yeah. doing updates there. And I thought it was going to be horrible when it came out. So when I actually saw it I appreciated it more for what it was turned into from uh, what's his face from Happy Days, Ron Howard. Ron Howard. Yeah, no, I like what Ron Howard did with it. Absolutely, and I really, I really thought that the drama around the production mm-hmm. kind of tainted people's views of the movie going into it, and I also think it prevented a lot of people from just going to the movie in general. This movie was basically completely reshot by Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. I think they said about 70% of it. And so much so that he's the only directorial credit. And then they bumped the other guys, uh, Miller and Lord, I think their names were, mm-hmm. to executive producer credits because they still had a hand in the movie, technically. But this is mostly a Ron Howard movie. And so basically they shot two movies. And so the budget is almost $300 million. And I think people, I, weirdly, I think that affected people. I think you're right. I think there was the drama around it. They're like, oh, this can't possibly be good. I'm just not even going to go see it. It's like, well, it was still pretty good. Like, Ron Howard makes good movies mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, he made Apollo 13. That's a pretty dope space movie. A real good movie. You know? like, And I think he made A Beautiful Mind. Like, he, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's good at making movies. He's That's a cool. solid director. Yeah, he's a very solid director. Certainly better than George Lucas as a <laughs> director. Like, he knows what he's doing. And, like, visually... This is a really interesting movie, and I think Ron Howard had a lot to do with that. You get, and I think this is where the prequels often go wrong, is you get a lot of newness, but there's not enough familiarity to tie you to the thing you love. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, I feel like you had enough familiarity to tie you to the things you love. If for no other reason, you've got the Millennium Falcon in there, right? That's Mm -hmm. enough right there. But you still get a lot of new stuff. You get oh, we're learning about these crime syndicates and we're learning about Coaxium and we're learning about there's Dryden Voss has a yacht apparently that he just floats around on. I mean, you're learning all these things. You're learning about, you know, Corellia and new planets and new people and new places, but it's familiar enough that it still feels like Star Wars. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people had issues with the prequels. And I think Ron Howard did a really good job of that because that's a tough line to walk between... Okay, and that's where I would say Force Awakens fails, is they made it too familiar and not new enough. Mm -hmm. I still like Force Awakens, but it's very similar to Episode 4 and not enough moving the story along. Whereas this, I think, is a nice mix of, hey, these are the things you love. We're going to do a little bit of service here so you feel comfortable in this world. You know where you're at. But also, here's all this new stuff. Isn't it cool? It's really the perfect... Uh, time span in the universe to do something like that. Absolutely. Because you're all familiar with or the prequel stuff. 
you're familiar with that, and then the yep. new, or the or original, original trilogy yeah. stuff that still mixes me up. <laughs> you're familiar with that, so then you can, this is a great chance to blend both of those elements together. Basically what I think you just said. But Yeah. Well, and I think, I, I, I do think the time frame of the setting is very important. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that with Rogue One as well. Yes. Where tons of familiarity, right? But we didn't know who Krennic was before Rogue One. This guy who apparently has a, or Galen Erso for that matter, who had these giant hands in making the Death Star. But we know the Death Star. We know Darth Vader. You know, we know this world that we're in. We know Yavin and all these other places. And so you can bring in all these new places like Scarif and Edu, and it's okay because it's just like, oh, I'm already familiar. I have my bearings. Let's go from there. And I think Solo does a really good job of that as well. But I think you're right. I think the time frame of where these movies fall in terms of between three and four makes that a lot easier than in other movies. Mm -hmm. The prequels were hard because you're in uncharted territory, right? You have no real bearing for what that world looks like. The sequels are a little bit easier because you're basically just in the shadow of the Empire, right? So you've got fallen, you know, Star Destroyers on planets and stuff like that, which looks really cool. Like, I'm actually a really big fan of, like, the random downed Star Destroyers on planets. I love that. But, so I'll give a little bit of a, a, not a pass, but just acknowledgement to what George Lucas was trying to do in the prequels was harder than this, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're basically, you're not starting from scratch, but you're starting from a much blanker slate than you are in Solo or Rogue One. But mm-hmm. that's part of what I like about Solo and Rogue One is that they do a really good job of, of walking that line. Um, what, what did you like about the movie? I really liked the acting, honestly. Uh, sure. Between uh, Han Solo's actor and Donald Glover with Lando. Yeah. You forgot who these individual actors were, and it Donald was just the characters. Glover killed Lando. Absolutely just killed Lando. Crushed it. I heard some people that they thought I was he was charmed by him. <laughs> he was better than Billy D. Williams, honestly, oh, in my opinion. I thought so. Billy D. didn't do anything for me, but I saw Donald up there, and I'm like, hello. <laughs> Oof. I'm confused. <laughs> no, the no. I thought I know some people thought he went a little over the top or whatever, but I think he again. Lando's he, kind of extra though. He is with. for sure with the capes and. Lando was a theater kid. Oh, for sure. <laughs> he he definitely did show choir. Um, but he took like the essence of who he believed Lando to be mm-hmm. when he's not in this crisis of the Empire is in my back door. My friend is, you know, being chased down by the space monster Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. If you take him out of that incredibly stressful context, who does he think... Lando Calrissian is, and I think he nailed it. He's like, just a playboy. Yeah, he's just like this kind of uh, eccentric, you know, playboy, right? Yeah. And I thought he killed it. So good. But and then, so you were, uh, the acting. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're good. The acting. I liked how they explained some of the stuff, but I felt like they overexplained a lot of the other stuff. What do you think they overexplained? Uh, like the dice that Han had yeah. hanging. That was like, we didn't need to show no. that getting passed on. We really didn't. How Han Solo got the name Solo. Like, that was a bit on the nose It to was me. a little cheesy. A little it cheesy. was, yeah. And we touched on it earlier, but how Han just kind of knew how to speak Wookiee. <laughs> it's like, that's just a thing he knew, which you could headcanon a bunch of that, but it doesn't tell us how he would know. He just falls in a pit and he's like, mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. 
you, and you even could have done a throwaway line like, you know. They taught us Wookiee in the Academy or something like that. Or, you know, I had to go to, I had to go to Keshek to, during my, while I was in the Imperial Academy or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like something, you just a throwaway line, it's done, and oh, that's how he knows Wookiee. Um, like we had Wookiees as slaves because they did. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah, right. So like they, they enslaved Keshek. Mm-hmm. The, the Empire did. So, you know. You had to learn how to speak Wookiee to yeah, speak like, orders. Uh, we had a, one of our, you know, one of our service people at the Academy was a Wookiee or whatever, you or know. Even if he had a Wookiee friend on. Corellia. Yeah, you should be like, uh, one of my friends growing up at the orphanage or whatever was a Wookiee. Anything, like, not that hard. Just give me a little throwaway line, tell me why he speaks Wookiee, that's mm-hmm. that's all I want to know. I did like the visuals as well, sorry, I got... No, you're good, you're good. I like the visuals, I think it will hold up pretty well. I think so too. Hard to say, because ten years from now it could look like garbage, but... Here's the thing, though. When, like, Phantom Menace came out, mm-hmm. I was like, this looks like garbage. I get that it was all new technology, but I was like, none of this looks real. When, even six years later, when Revenge of the Sith came out, I was like, okay, this is a lot better, but it still doesn't look like real. By the time you get to, I don't know, Force Awakens, it's like, oh, this all looks real. Mm -hmm. Like, this looks real. Uh, Whether it's Force Awakens or Rogue One with uh, Grand Moff Talking, I was like, oh, I thought he was dead. And it's like, oh, no, he is dead. Super dead. This is a fake person. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's incredible. So I think you're right. I think the visuals hold up, and it's not like overtly CGI heavy, mm-hmm. which helps. Even though probably way more of it's CGI than I realize, that's good. Like that's a good indication. Mm-hmm. You know, um, anything else that you liked about the movie? The subtle world building. Touched on it again earlier. Yeah, I like when they don't. They tell the world through the story. They tell the world through the visuals yes. and the story, not directly having to explain everything. Yeah. So we learned about the crime syndicates and all the other stuff and all these other worlds that it's. Nice. It's just nice to not have stuff told to you. Sure. But it's still... You it's don't the show to... me, not tell me thing exactly. when you're writing, but it's in a movie. Yes. Right? I, I, I think that's a really good point because, again, I'm totally fine with the world building, but you have to... It needs to service the story, mm-hmm. not the other way around. Not the story services the world building. The world world building on its own, we don't care about. But if you introduce new things through the context of the story, that's really fun. Mm-hmm. And... Again, that's, I think, the thing that George Lucas literally never understood. (laughs) Um, Anything else that you enjoyed about this movie? I think I've touched on the main stuff. So, I would Darth Maul, I guess, but... Yeah, Darth Maul. Again, the Darth Maul cameo is cool. Mm -hmm. I think... So, I will say, if you've seen the uh, cartoon series, the Clone Wars and Mm -hmm. the Rebels... This movie, there's a lot less to explain about this movie, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of things that you just understand because of uh, having seen Darth Maul be alive, for instance, or, or stuff like that. So, um, the people that came into this without any experience, like I did, I, I have read a lot of the Wikipedias for them since then, but if you come into this without a context for those things, it can be a little much at first, and then you kind of just figure it out and you're good, right? Um, so what I honestly the thing I liked about most about this movie was just fun to watch yeah it's just a fun movie to watch is it necessary no is it a little I don't want to say pointless but it doesn't really advance the larger canon mm-hmm. or narrative of the Skywalkers okay that's fine but we have this character that we love well we have like three characters that we love right we have Lando we have Han we have Chewie you're right 
I love Chewie. I love Lando. I love Han. I like Lando more now than I ever did from right. before. You know? And so there's a just is it a probably a little bit more fan servicey than some of the other movies? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. But you sit down, it's a heist movie in space, basically. It's a heist movie set in the world of Star Wars, which mm-hmm. Han Solo is a smuggler. What did you think a Han Solo movie was gonna be? Right. You know what I mean? Like he heists for a living. <laughs> That's literally his job. I do wish we had more street racing or car chases. Yeah, the street racing is cool. I did like that. that um was pretty dope. I also thought it was funny that he got the speeder stuck when he went up sideways. That was pretty good. That was pretty funny because that's kind of a, you know that's a movie that he likes. That's I enjoyed that. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was a good movie. I thought it was not like laugh out loud funny, but it had clever and and kind of amusing lines and some of the interaction between like Han and Kira's funny and I don't know. I just thought it was really easy to watch. It was a fun movie to watch. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what I'm watching movies for you know so um let's get to some of do you have any nitpicks or things you didn't like about the movie thanks uh, i touched on a lot earlier mainly just like that dice thing they over explained some sure. things that i feel like they didn't sure. really need to uh, uh the uh it frustrated me that and this isn't like a movie nitpick this is just a hun as a <laughs> sure. character nitpick yeah. That he kept going, trying to like go back to Kira when she was clearly not interested, or it, I don't know, if she, I don't know. It was a weird dynamic. It so felt I weird. think she was interested, but she wasn't going to allow herself. So this is a point after, so especially when you rewatch it, where Beckett makes really good, insightful points about Kira, right? Mm-hmm. And at the end, he says it was never about you. She's a survivor. Mm-hmm. Right, so that almost leads me to believe, like, okay, she attached to Han originally on Corellia when they were kids because she saw him as a way out, mm-hmm. and then she attached to Dryden Voss because she saw him as a way to a better life, and then she may have had real affection for Han, but she was never going to allow that affection to inhibit her ambitions to a better life. Oh, that's fair. So I think there was affection for Han, but I also think that there was zero chance she was ever going to let it go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And because you saw it, she had the opportunity. At the end of the movie, she has the opportunity. Han or become leader of this crime syndicate or second leader under Darth Maul, basically, the, the public face of this crime syndicate. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even have to think about it. It's not even a choice for her. She wants the better life. She doesn't want to be some smuggler on the run all the time. She's leading the crime syndicate. So... I agree that he it what after rewatching it it I almost just felt bad for him that he kept going back to her. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was like in the prequels. It's kind of creepy the way Anakin like ha- like some of the things he does with Padme. It's super creepy. So creepy, it's right? I didn't feel great. creeped out by Han. I just felt bad for him. Yeah, because he didn't realize not that Kira was playing him, but she was only going to choose him if she if he was the more pragmatic option Mm -hmm. and he just never saw that and Beckett did and it just made me sad for Han Mm -hmm. Uh, but I also think that's kind of a compelling part of the movie is that he just didn't understand her like he didn't understand her he didn't understand her motivations for him it had always been about getting back to her 
And for her, it had always just been about having a better life. And at a certain time in her life, she thought he was the best path to that. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that I thought that dynamic was interesting. Um, but I agree. I always felt bad when Han just couldn't get it. I'm too empathetic when I watch these movies. Yeah, for sure. Um, anything else that uh, little nitpicks or that you didn't like? Mm, I don't think so, honestly. There's a few things when I was watching it, I was like, eh, but... Yeah, nothing enough, nothing to really bother you. Yeah, um, the Kessel Run thing just <laughs> took the wind out of the sails. It's like, oh, that ship's awesome. It's like, well, it's just, it's like no, it was, it's just a juiced up ship. Listen, it was a great idea. A great idea. Incredible idea. It was really cool to watch. Like the scene where they inject the coaxium into the Millennium Falcon, where they're getting sucked into the gravity pit, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it takes off incredibly cool scene to watch mm -hmm. but I agree it kind of takes the juice out of the Millennium Falcon a little bit I like the robot revolution yeah that was fun so that was let's talk about L3 yes. for a little bit so I <laughs> I ride for L3 uh -huh. I think I think it was a really fun character mm -hmm. and listen I thought <laughs> I thought the like quote unquote like sexual tension between her and Lando was really funny. It was really good. I know some people like freaked out. They're like, oh, that's gross and whatever. It's like, clearly it's meant for comic relief in this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. It's funny stuff. She's just well, like, these are, these droids are essentially real people. You can still fall in love with someone without like a sexual context. Right. And like, there's also, I mean, look at, for instance, um, uh, Poe Dameron and BB-8, right? Yes. Poe loves BB-8. It's like a puppy. That's the thing, yeah. So, like, it's not that even out of context for Star Wars and what we've accepted. I just, I thought it was funny. I thought it was a funny, like, comic relief in the movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think the revolutions, or the fact that she's just, it, the whole movie, not just at the revolution, but... The whole movie, she's just, like, fighting for droid rights and stuff mm -hmm. like that. and I think that's a necessary thing we needed in Star Wars. I think it's... I, I think, think we need to have more of a discussion about droid rights because, I mean, we saw Jabba's Palace. We saw Jabba's Palace. Well, and also, there's obvious... There, it's, it's tough because they're mechanical, right? Mm -hmm. But, again, in Star Wars, we have a couple instances where the mechanical and the... Uh, Organic have mixed, whether it's Darth Vader, whether it's General Grievous, you've got that world already mixing, right? Mm -hmm. And then these appear to be sentient beings with, you know, feelings and emotions and all that kind of thing. So it's really tough to just ride them off as, or write them off as these you know, computers, basically, you know? Mm -hmm. It's it's not like you're shooting a laptop. <laughs> like, you're you're shooting a, a being. And so I did like the fact that, you know, they have a character that's standing up and like, hey, they don't even serve our kind here. Why are you making money for them? Or, like, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to just work in this thing with your restraining bolt. Like, go be free, you know? And that was a fun scene. And I, I, they were fun... Uh, I guess through line for the movie and I appreciated like you see where L3 gets killed Lando genuinely cares for L3 like he's broken up about the fact that L3's dead or destroyed I don't know yeah. <laughs> I don't know what context to use that in you know uh, but 
Yeah, I agree. The droid thing, the droid thing in Star Wars is a lot more complicated than, than you initially think about. It. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Even the mouse droids of the Death Star have emotion somehow. Like they're <laughs> really good at injecting emotion into these little robot things. Like even when the mouse droids go up to somebody and they're like, no, they're like, nope, I'm <laughs> yeah, really. they're like scared, right? Right. And so, and you wouldn't. Those aren't things you would typically. Like, your washing machine isn't scared, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but these droids are. So, obviously, there's a difference between just machines and the droids. Um, so, yeah, I really like the L3 stuff. Anything else about the L3 stuff you wanted to add? I thought it could be a little too much. Not super much. Like, not shoehorn necessarily. But uh, there was just a bit where I... A few times where I felt like it wasn't completely necessary. It was just kind of thrown in there. Yeah, I thought sometimes the, like, combativeness of L3 when doing something as simple as like obviously whether she views herself as an employee of Lando or a property of Lando or whatever mm -hmm. in some form there is a working relationship with Lando so when he's like hey we have to go to the ship like that's your job go to the ship You're right. <laughs> you know like you don't have to be combative about everything obviously Lando shows you a proper amount of respect you don't have to be combative with him about the droid thing, you know? Like exactly. It's like, oh, because you're my human overlord or whatever. It's like, no. It's, well, no, just... He's like, no. We're going to die. Because I'm your boss. Let's go. Please. <laughs> like, I'm I'm sure he pays her or whatever. You know, I don't know how that works with... He lets her sass him? Yeah. Which I think he secretly is into. Right, yeah. Uh, so, I agree. I thought there was just, like, maybe a couple spots where it was, like, a little... They went to the well just a couple too many times right with the sassy l3 but the revolution when they go to uh so to the to the mining planet uh to the pikes the pikes run the planet i don't remember the name of the planet i don't either but when they go to get the unrefined co coaxium and she frees all the droids that was, was really that cool. was a good scene I also thought it was really cool when you saw the Wookiees, the other Wookiees that were enslaved there. Oh, yeah. And Chewie, like, they, like Chewie starts his own little revolution. That was cool as well. Uh, I did find it a little hard to believe that he would go with Han instead of going with the other Wookiees. Yeah, that one was a bit... In, that seemed like, oh, we just Chewie needs to be with Han. Right. But even... I could see Chewie going with them for a bit, helping out and then coming with back. them, and then coming back. Yeah. Where they run into each other again at some point. For sure, but I thought it was kind of a tough sell. It's like, oh, he just rediscovered more of his people, and he's leaving them. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was that was tough for me. Um, other nitpicks, honestly, aside from the weird snake lady at the beginning, <laughs> I'm okay. I I really liked this movie for the most part. Um, I really don't think I had any other nitpicks or things I didn't like. I thought the ending where. You've got. I thought the ending where you've got uh, the basically the exchange between Enfys Nest and Han, and then Beckett, and everybody's trying to get the coaxium. I thought it was a little on the nose in terms of foreshadowing to him helping the Rebel Alliance later. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but that's again, that's a nitpick. That's not something that really bothered me. I was just like. I think it's a good character moment for Han himself, too. Because it shows that he... It's not always just about, like, the money for yeah, him. Like, he, he does have a soul. Well, and that's one of the, like, themes that Kira keeps going back to, right? Is like, hey, mm -hmm. you're not this person. You're a good person. And, like, that's going to break through at some point. 
And I agree, and I like that he wants to help them, but I don't like the, hey, we could use a, you know, we could use somebody like you, or and him being like, no, I'm good, whatever. Like, if you just kind of cut out the invitation, mm-hmm. I think I'm okay. Yeah. But it was just a little too on the nose to, like, Luke pleading with Han to be like, hey, we could use a good pilot, you know? It was just... I'm sure it was supposed to be there, like an Easter egg or something. But for me, it was just like a little too on the nose, mm-hmm. uh, like in terms of the foreshadowing. But that's all I've got. I like this movie. Um, anything else you wanted to add about Solo? I think I'm solid. All right. Well, that is Solo, a Star Wars story, uh, better than you remember. And <laughs> don't let the fact that it cost $300 million to make this movie affect your view on it. It's not your money. You shouldn't care. It's Disney's money, and they have plenty of it. <laughs> mm, they do. Um, but I would give, if you haven't watched I would just say if you either haven't watched it or you haven't watched it since your initial viewing, give it another shot. It's much better the second time around, and I almost guarantee it's better than the first time you saw it. And if you disagree, I will give you your money back from listening to this podcast, <laughs> which is free. All right. This has been Heavy Lifting with Robbie Lula. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. And you can find us on Facebook, Heavy Lifting with Ravi Lula, on Twitter or Instagram, at R-A-Lula, or on the website, RaviLulaRadio.com. Make sure you join us on Monday, not for Meathead Monday, but for Movie Monday when we're doing Rogue One, my favorite Star Wars movie ever. We'll talk to you then.